There are those who believe that the rebooted Battlestar Galactica is TV's greatest ever space opera. We spool up our FTL and set coordinates for classic episode 33. As Watchmen becomes the big winner at this year's Emmys, we ask if the major awards are finally taking sci-fi seriously. Or is it just a blip? Zombies, your time is up. But not quite yet. We get our heads around the fact that Walking Dead is actually coming to an end. I'm Dave Bradley. I'm Tanavi Patel. I'm Richard Edwards. And there's all this, plus Quantum Leap, Baby Yoda, and zombie sitcoms in Robbie the Robot's Waiting, the podcast leading a ragtag fugitive fleet on a lonely quest. Hi guys, how you doing? Hey. Hi Rich. Hi Tanavi. Yeah, good, thank you. Excellent. So, what have you been enjoying over the last couple of weeks? So, Ghosts has started again on BBC One. And yes. I've been watching the new series of that. Uh, and if you have iPlayer, then all six episodes of this series have been uh, and uploaded there, so you can binge them. Uh, so I'm, I'm plowing my way through those uh, and enjoying it. It's still very much this kind of gentle sitcom, uh, fantasy sitcom vibe. I'm, I was surprised. I was expecting it, having seen the first season and loved it, um, that kind of looking forward to that sort of rent-a-ghost vibe. But I was surprised how much of a carry-on it is in the sense of the carry-on series. And I now I've started thinking about that. I can't stop. They, all their <laughs> humour seems to come from them saying things like, oh, you'll get a glimpse of Fanny through the window and so on. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's so juvenile. It's so juvenile. And yet, uh, and yet somehow gets away with it because it's, uh, it's kind of self-aware and because the characters are so adorable. Uh, I, I, I like some of the, the, the things they do. It's, it's oddly dark in places. There's this running gag about the... Uh, one of the ghosts who was burnt at the stake, who has PTSD about it, and and all the plague victims in the cellar. So it's, it kind of have it has its moment of darkness, but it's but yeah, it's 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 very much a, a, a show that um, that that enjoys its kind of slightly slightly silly slapstick. Um, it's <laughs> there's a, a, a round about episode three, I think it is, maybe four, no th- three, I think, where they. Um, uh, where the the elderly lady of the house ghost, uh, who's uh, uh, who's very prim and proper, discovers Ladies Chatterley's lover and starts uh, starts having a bit of a, a funny turn when she sees the, uh, the, the the men working in the garden, and it's it's just so kind of delightfully old fashioned and, and silly for a sitcom, but um, but uh, but plays with its 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 ghost tropes and, and things very well, I think, and it's from the Horrible Histories crew, so you know it's uh, it's kind of well intentioned and it's got a, you know a, a kind of a, a well written. Um, a well-written script. So, um, uh, yeah, so I've been enjoying that. That's probably where the educational remit comes in with the plague stuff. And, you know, <laughs> they, they feel like they need to teach everybody something. It, it kind of it has uh, moments of, uh, of world, the sort of World War II history and, 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 uh, and, and kind of poetry and stuff. But, I mean, ultimately, you get the sense that whereas Horrible Histories does have a bit of a, a remit to be educational, this is just silly. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just ridiculous. I agree. I've only seen the first episode of the second series, um, but it is—it's that great deadpan humor that just just makes you smile, even if it's not a laugh out loud. And so each episode is a standalone episode as well, so it is something that you can just pick up when you feel like it. And um, although the characters obviously essentially the same the whole time, they just put them in a slightly different situation. But I like the and the tropes that you use are good so so like the one of the episodes where you know they get ghost hunters coming to the house right, right, right. and things like that and it's just it's so clever how they how they do it and i find it interesting how the ghosts entertain themselves because what would you do with yourself if you were stuck for eternity in the same house with these people and and so that in itself is it's a, which in a way feels a bit like 
um, talking to the pandemic in a sense. <laughs> right, right, right. I've enjoyed quite a lot. I mean, I'm still watching The Boys, which oh, yeah. is continuing on Amazon, mm -hmm. and it is great. I, I think the season might actually be better than the first. It's just getting wronger and wronger, uh, and Homelander is getting worse and worse. Uh, I've watched the first two episodes of Utopia, um, which uh -huh. is a remake of the Channel 4 show um, from a few years ago about this sort of this graphic novel that can predict the future. And, and this is a, uh, an Amazon uh, update it's got john cusack in it um very similar premise though despite the fact that it was filmed in late last year it's all about an incoming pandemic so it feels really <laughs> really prescient so i'll probably talk about that more next episode but the big, big thing i've watched is actually jurassic world camp cretaceous uh, ah, which the animation yeah. The animated spin-off from Jurassic World. It's kind of set in parallel to the first Jurassic World movie, so when the park goes wrong, and because they don't learn from the mistakes in Jurassic World, they kind of leave a bunch of kids to their own devices to get into all sorts of scrapes. Um, what could possibly go wrong? Um, so the first three episodes are really generic kids' cartoon. It's like, how have these sort of camp counsellors left them in a position where they can wander into a raptor enclosure. That's just ridiculous. Um, but the story engineers these situations. Uh, but around episode four out of eight, it starts to build up into an arc plot and it all interweaves a bit with Jurassic World, the movie. So you see mm -hmm. uh, the helicopter crashing into the, the Ter Pteranodon aviary and you see uh, the uh, mosasaur, you know, you go, you go into the mosasaur pen and there's all these things that are happening that you kind of know from the movie and it's not brilliant, but it does have moments of peril and it does feel like it's adding to the mythology. You know, there's hints of, you know, the Henry Wu is not all good and he's, he's not doing this for particular, you know, he's not making dinosaurs for particularly good motives. So good but not great. It, you know, it's not Star Wars Rebels or, or Star Wars The Clone Wars as animated mm. spin-offs go, but it, it's decent. So I was browsing through Netflix a little again, and I did give away um, the new sci-fi show, um, Mission to Mars show with Hilary Swank. I did give it another go because I started... I. I love to watch stuff that sci-fi that's trending on Netflix. It makes me proud. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel, I feel like I need to promote it. Um, and Netflix don't need any help with promotion. They really. don't, they don't, but it's, it's sci-fi in general. So I feel like it's a good thing when it's trending. So we should support. So I do, those are the kind of things I try to watch in a timely fashion when they're, when they're released. But to be honest, and it's right up my alley normally, like those kind of shows that are the mission to Mars and, you know, um, seeing how they get there, mixing the science with the sort of humane side of it. Um, and I was disappointed. I really was because within about 20 minutes, I realized it was an American melodrama, much more about, you know, the, the main astronaut and her husband and a daughter and not, not about necessarily the logistics of the, um, of the show. So to the point where at one point she's, something happens to her husband and she's already on her way she's at the moon on the way to Mars and she goes, Oh, I'll come home because he's sick. Like, I'm pretty sure you would have planned for that in the last 15 years. Should there be some issue that it wouldn't end up, ended up being decided by her 13 year old daughter. And I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. So I did give it a couple of episodes. It visually is stunning as you'd expect from, um, Netflix. There's, um, another, um, show um based with astronauts that i really really like which was abc's i think it was like 2010 it defined gravity with Ron livingston and i really like that and that show oh, did you um, I, really I was about to that. mention that yeah yeah really did you like it as well 
I well, I was going to say that it was flawed, just in the same way that it sounds like a way is, because I, mm-hmm. I really think it'd be a really cool idea to make a sort of sort of solar system set drama, you know, where people yeah. are dealing with the difficulties of being in space. Yeah. And and I, my problem with defying gravity was that it was all melodrama. You yeah. know, this idea of a show that was exploring the solar system and they got yeah. to get to Venus and whatever. Yeah. And and actually, when it did get to Venus, it was really really exciting. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, it was a proper bit of you know space sci-fi. sci-fi yeah but getting there it was just oh i miss my family mm. oh this is hard and and that's not necessarily what you want for it you want something no. more like the martian you know and, absolutely and, yeah, okay. that's what In i was martian. hoping for was the science part of the difficulties not the sort of melodrama difficulties that everybody has yeah basically a lot of um, astronauts shouting at each other so <laughs> that's what it and aren't astronauts meant to be incredibly calm and not shout <laughs> exactly, at each other exactly exactly and they're all supposed to know each other and have gone through this stuff so why are they suddenly deciding they don't trust each other 15 years in to their start of their program basically so yeah i just I, I think it could have been done a lot better and i'm surprised actually that it's popular but yeah i'm not watching anymore right now this year's Emmy Awards were handed out at the weekend. Uh, it was an unusual one because it was Hollywood's first COVID restriction awards due, but also because this year's big winner at the Pandemies was a sci-fi show. Watchmen took home 11 awards from 26 nominations, mostly in the limited series categories, including Outstanding Series. Uh, there was also uh, Acting Awards for Regina King and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Also, Mandalorian got a few awards. They were mostly technical, but also Ludwig Göransson's excellent score, very Western-influenced uh, uh, one for music, which is great. Now, I don't think anyone can have any complaints about Watchmen winning big because it was such a great show. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, it was the, um, it was Watchmen's award to lose really, wasn't it? Because everyone was so positive about Watchmen um, uh, right from the start. Uh, It's a a fantastic show. I I mean, I think just generally um, the showing that science fiction and fantasy had at the awards, I mean, also in the creative Emmys as well, obviously the primetime Emmys are the, um, the the big cheese, but the creative Emmys also saw awards for uh, Picard, the dark crystal, Rick and Morty, stranger things as well. If I'm, if I'm not much mistaken. And that's, that's great because since there's still a little bit of a snobbishness in Hollywood about science fiction and fantasy and popular entertainment, and it's good to see the shows being recognized. And then in the primetime Emmys, yeah, you know, um, big nods for Watchmen and Mandalorian. Um, I think we're all feel that they're totally justified. Do you think this is going to be a game changer? That Game of Thrones, big fantasy show, cleaned up on awards. You know, certainly towards the end of its run. Um, do you think this could do the same for science fiction, or is it more likely to be a blip? Do you think? I think it's difficult. I think because of the fact that Watchmen is um, and has been touted as a uh, one-off series um i think one of the sort of strengths of having a show like game of thrones is it had time to sort of build up that base and so the continuity of the series meant that that it could i think sort of position itself as a strong contender and therefore a strong sci-fi contender for like a, a longer amount of time but with watchmen you know that's gonna have to give way to other shows next time and so whether it'll have much influence and mean that other people will sort of look at that and go, oh, well, we, we should be nominating other similar shows because in the genre, just because Watchmen won, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's going to make that difference, but you can always hope. 
I think it's really important with with uh, Watchmen as well that it's been winning for you know the best series and for for acting because right. I think it's very easy with science fiction fantasy to give them the technical awards you know but here's an award for your effects here's something for sound effects editing but ignoring the storytelling almost and I think when it's bagging that kind of award that is important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a recognition. I mean, I, I think there's some fantastic screen storytelling in Watchmen. I think that the episode of Watchmen where Regina King's character takes the nostalgia drug and goes back in time and, and we see elements of her uh, uh, family's uh, memories from, from the past was one of the best things on, on TV. It was uh, The episode was called An Almost Religious Awe. And um, there were uh, technical flourishes in in that show as well there was you know there was a lot of it was in black and white there was moments where um some someone crashed through a window and it kind of went into a sort of slow motion but importantly as you say the show wasn't just awarded for its kind of technicalities it was uh, awarded for its its narrative and its acting and its storytelling and i think that that's one of my favorite episodes of tv you know from from last year and and um uh, and i'm glad that it got recognized yeah uh, i think it was such an accomplished bit of storytelling uh, as a whole you know you know, Tanavi, you mentioned the fact that it was just one season, but it kind of embraced the fact it was just one season mm. um, because it knew that it was going to have a beginning, middle and an end, which show, so many shows don't. And and actually it deserves to be rewarded for that. And, and also the way that it kind of tapped into this, arguably the most famous superhero graphic novel of all time mm. and expanded it in a, in a way that, didn't annoy fans who are incredibly sensitive about the source material, you know, made it feel essential and, and also dealt with real world issues. You know, the, the, the whole, the, the, the racism angles and, and the, the, the sort of civil rights thing that it, it was just so many things thrown into a mix brilliantly. It's interesting with, with Watchmen, um, you mentioned um, it's being very timely. It seems to be coming even more and more so. Remember, that was kind of filmed and broadcast before this year's um, events and the Black Lives Matter protests. And it showed police officers wearing masks and the kind of, um, you know, it says quite a lot about the, um, uh, you know, about about kind of faceless law enforcement and so on that, that's become even more relevant this year. Um, and also, I, it's interesting when you see shows like Watchmen referenced on... Um, uh, John Oliver's last week tonight referenced it, the way that it told the story of Tulsa and the the terrible things that happened there back in the twenties and how actually that wasn't really being taught in American schools, but it was uh, it was such an important incident and that a lot of people heard about it for the first time from Watchmen, which is an astonishing mm. thing for a science fiction TV show to do. That's great, isn't it? I mean, I think sci-fi shows have a tradition of teaching us things that we didn't know, um, but usually not, you know, uh, history like like that do you think though that tv uh, award ceremonies are a little bit ahead of movies because we're now getting to the point where we've had a few big hitters sort of in sci-fi and fantasy winning awards but movies it's really rare i mean we had the return of the king which cleaned up and i think the shape of water a couple of years ago you know guillermo del toro won plenty but otherwise sci-fi certainly when it comes to winning is conspicuous by its absence and we've got a lot of movies that people absolutely adore and are getting amazing reviews but they are not getting voted for by sort of the academy yeah it's funny because you see a lot of those uh, actors such as the marvel actors taking a, a big role in the academy awards but not actually winning any of the awards and so it's almost like they feel well it's okay to recognize them by having them on the show but we don't need to give them anything (laughs) it's a weird situation to be in 
Uh, the last time the Best Picture Award went to a top 10 box office uh, film was 2004's Lord of the Rings. So it's been 16 years since, uh, since a box office hit uh, was recognised by the Best Picture category. There have been nominations, to be fair. Um, Inception was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Black Panther got quite a lot of nominations uh, a couple of years ago, won mm-hmm. three. Um, so they are getting nominated occasionally uh though avengers endgame i think got v- very little mm. yeah which is a terrible neglect really because uh endgame does have an amazing job of telling a really complicated story with multiple characters really well in fact actually it should be i think probably studied as a, a as a textbook example of how to tell <laughs> kind of ensemble ensemble stories but uh this is leading us towards a conversation i expect about the uh proposed outstanding achievement in popular film category well, yes, formally proposed, I think. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to be abandoned. Yeah, obviously, yeah, a couple of years ago, the Oscars thought, let's create a special Oscar for popular film um, so to reward the blockbusters. Is that a crazy idea? I, I think it is in the sense that why can't they just recognise those crazy right. blockbuster films yeah. within the uh, award ceremony as it is? Why do they always pick these really random films with the same actors all the time to win an Academy Award, knowing nobody's going to watch it. I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me, and it's certainly one of the reasons I stopped watching the the Oscars because what they're portraying is it's just so you know out of league with what's actually happening in cinema most of the time and what people care about most of the time. Which is why I think the organisers of the award ceremonies try to get in all those popular actors and mention those popular films because people watch it for them and not the awards, which is just so ironic. But they need yeah, to be recognised no, as mainstream. Sci-fi is now mainstream fantasy and things, so they should just be considered the same. I, I agree. If a film's uh, worthy of a best picture, it, it you know, then it's worthy of best picture. And I think that the um, science fiction and fantasy films are worthy of best picture. It does the the creation of that category did absolutely smack of an attempt to boost Oscars ratings rather than the Academy exactly. wanting mm-hmm. to do something to support uh, popular film. Um, and also, I just I just take the title of the idea that those are those are popular films, which kind of oddly means what do, are they saying that the rest are unpopular? I mean, what, what, a, what a what a what a backhanded sort of diss to the uh, the the films that are actually given awards to. <laughs> I think there's traditionally been an attitude though that a film being popular means it's not worthy um, somehow that there's, there must, it must have sort of almost sold out. But being popular doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're bad. Just as being sort of an art art house film doesn't necessarily mean you're good. Mm. You know, you sort of rate a film on on its merits. And I I think there has been quite a sea change in the last five or ten years that actually quite who you'd think of as being quite serious broadsheet critics are going to watch Marvel movies and giving them five stars. The critics are on board with this. And and it was like the Academy is a little bit behind. That's true. Maybe give them 15 to 20 years and they might catch up. Does it really matter? Um, you know, you look at something like Back to the Future, which didn't win Best Picture at the Oscars, and I'm sorry, well, it's 1985, so I guess that would probably be an out of Africa that did. If you're sort of asking someone, what's a better film? What do you love more? It's going to be Back to the Future. You know, Back to the Future has that yeah. legacy, doesn't it? You know, Back to the Future has got into the public consciousness 
in an amazing way. Is that worth more than winning a, a little golden statue? I think the problem with it is that the industry is so tied up on awards that a lot of money revolves around that, a lot of contracts revolves around it, and um, your ability to even make a show revolves around, you know, a lot of the time your your award-winning potential. So if there's a film that's unlikely to win an award, it's less likely to be made than one that even if it's seen by less people potentially could get an Oscar. And there's certainly definite um, movies out there that are made in order to win the awards. And that's the only thing that I worry about is that there's too much sort of lobbying that goes on around the awards Mm -hmm. such that it might impede um, the films that end up being, being made. There is one way you can guarantee winning an Oscar if you're in a superhero film. Oh, yeah? Play the Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of course, Birdman was a Best Picture winner. And Birdman notionally pays a superhero in that sort of... (laughs) It's not a superhero mm. movie, though, is it? I mean, if you, went see, if you went to see Birdman thinking, oh, yeah, this is, is this the Marvel superhero I never heard of? Oh, my <laughs> God, you'd be disappointed. Whether or not a film has won a Best Picture award has never actually stopped me liking it or enjoying it or going or seeking it out either. So actually, there's a broader question to be asked about what is the purpose of awards, really? I mean, you know, maybe the Oscars are really just an opportunity for Hollywood to pat itself on, itself on the back. I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can tell you now, uh, I'm going to go and see uh, Black Widow at the cinema and whether or not it gets nominated for any awards is kind of neither here nor there. I think that just about wraps it up for awards. We'll be back in a sec, or we'll be talking about Battlestar Galactica in our Rewind section. Hello, and welcome to part two of Robbie the Robot's Waiting. Uh, Now we'd like to welcome this week's guest, Sari Cohen. Hello. Hey. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. All the way from from California. Welcome. Mm -hmm. All the way from California via via Zoom, (laughs) via the internet. (laughs) So, Sari began her career in the entertainment industry as a stand up comedy writer and performer and has developed scripts for stage and screen. She covers music and live entertainment for AXS, writes for In Love magazine, and is an on air correspondent and associate producer for Hollywood First Look Features. She's also written funny stuff for Cracked and Screenwrite. So, what have you been enjoying lately in terms of sci fi and fantasy? Oh gosh. Well, this is, this is the time to binge. I really, um, I kind of fell into it at the beginning of this pandemic and went through a whole bunch of stuff, but black mirror was what Uh, I got into right away. (laughs) It's too close to reality right now. I think there's like that, that ongoing joke about season six, you know, that, um, they're not going to do a season six because we're kind of living it right now. Uh, Are you blaming Charlie Brooker for the apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. He might have had something to do with it. I've been feeling like we're stuck in an episode of Black Mirror. I've said that so many times. That's what it feels like. I, I, that's that's the only thing I can compare this to. Um, so, yes, Black Mirror, Dark, I got into. Um, and I have yet to see the, the recent season. Um, I binged that pretty quickly. And then I've been doing a lot of um, revisiting. Like I was telling you guys, Quantum Leap. I feel like that is that is always a good go-to. That is probably my all-time favorite sci-fi fantasy show. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love Quantum Leap. I haven't seen it for years, but what what a show! You yeah. have to go back and watch it because it holds up. That's the beauty oh, of it. Yeah. It was done so many years ago, and you can go back and watch it, and it really does a lot of. It's weird. A lot of the technology or predictions or certain things are are kind of they kind of hold true today. So yeah. 
And I love the it's theme a great tune too. anthology device, isn't it? Leaping into someone else's life for a <laughs> for, for an episode of their life and then leaping out again. Right? Um, yeah. It's like Star Trek and Doctor Who, isn't it? You can be a different show every week. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love the anthology. I think anthology is probably my favorite. You know, that's that's definitely, yeah, I guess it falls in line with the Black Mirror and all that. Something to be said about that. I've completely forgotten until you started talking about, about about him holding his handheld device and kind of going ziggy like this. And now I feel yeah. like we all do that the whole time with our phones. <laughs> just kind of, <laughs> yes, yes. There's like the pilot episode with, with Dean Stockwell and, and Sam Bakula in the car. And there were all these things that I was like, how did you get 30 years before it even happened? They were really on point with the technology. Like we have all these things now. Yeah, it's not absolutely. quite how they imagined it, but yeah, really interesting. Did you see the film Source Code? No, I haven't seen Source Code. So if as a fan of Quantum Leap, you should watch Source Code. So um, Source Code mm-hmm. is uh, by... Um, Duncan Jones. Thank you. I wanted to, I wanted to say Zoe Bowie. He's, he's, uh, uh, David yeah, Bowie's... And you, would have been, and you would have been correct. I would have been correct. I forgot his, his human name for a moment there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, sorry. <laughs> so Source Code is by uh, Duncan Jones, um, the director of um, Moon. And it's... Uh, it has a, a massive echo of Quantum Leap in it. It's a little bit of a homage to it. In fact, to the point where, and I can't, you haven't seen it, so I won't tell you, there's a, but Scott Bakula is in it. Mm. And he's, I think, if I remember correctly, his opening line is, oh boy. And I'm not going to say any more than that. It's, but it's worth a watch because it it's plays into the mentality of, um, of Quantum Leap. You've seen Source Code, haven't you, Rich? I have, yes. I can't remember if it was Oh Boy, but it would be very appropriate. Oh, yeah. you just got me so excited. That's, no, you're I'm literally jumping in your seat yeah. now. I was so excited. I mean, you had me at Scott Bakula, but yeah. Oh Boy just did it for me. <laughs> Actually, I, I wrote about that on when I was writing for Screen Rant. It was, it was, um, I feel like that was one of the shows where, I don't know, the, the ending, that was a difficult ending. I don't want to blow it for people that haven't seen it, but you know, it's been 30, nearly 30 years. I think it's probably okay. <laughs> I don't know. In case anybody else wants to go back and binge watch it, <laughs> right, there's right. a whole generation of people out there that haven't seen it yet. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those endings. I think you either loved it or hated it. You know, you either were satisfied by the ending or you just, you wanted more, you know, I think at the time I was quite disappointed because it, you know, it is such an ambiguous ending. But the more and more time has gone on, the the better I think it is. Yeah. You know, the, it, it, that and to do it really in a, a wor- in just words on a screen to say what happened to him, you know, not show you, just say it. And actually, the more you think about it, it's just quite melancholy and but but appropriate. Right. Right. No, it was this, I had the same feeling. You know, as, and and people will debate the ending time and time again. It's like you either you either love it or hate it. It's either the best ending that ever was or the worst ending that ever was. I would like more. I would like a, I would like a quantum leap reboot starring. Yeah, Scott how come I haven't heard about that. I haven't heard anything about that. And I'm surprised because it was such a huge show for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised there's no reboot talk about that. And it's kind of ripe for a reboot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Okay. We're putting it out there now. On the <laughs> Come on, everyone. Get on the phone to Netflix. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, Netflix? But they'll make anything. Put them in a way. It'd be so much better. It'd be so much better. <laughs> okay, from one show with a divisive ending to another. Um, one really good thing about lockdown has been all the telly we get to watch. And in the UK, the BBC has spent a licence fee 
payer money incredibly wisely by putting the whole run of Battlestar Galactica on iPlayer. Now, seeing as it's one of the greatest space operas of all time and a personal favourite of Dave and me, we thought it was a good time to talk about it. So we're going to look back on 33, which is the first episode proper. We're going to try and keep it mostly spoiler-free, certainly beyond season one, so don't worry, your BSG binge is safe. Now, the original series, uh, made in the 70s, it was a show about genocide, but it was also very disco. Um, there was a little bit of a disconnect there. The new Battlestar Galactica is also a show about genocide and the Cylons wiping out the human race. But this is darker, isn't it? This is not a fun show. Yeah, it's definitely uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely a show that was made in the shadow of 9-11. I think we've got to acknowledge that and and um, and what that what that means for it. And it's a it's a it's a much much grittier show um, with a very different kind of themes. I remember when it came out and um watching it for the first time in 2003 i think the miniseries was kind of expecting to see those kind of shiny chrome robots uh doing the uh, by your command thing which i'd I loved uh in my youth but um but actually it, the fact that it's much more of a human drama and it's about human survival it makes it a much more interesting science fiction show i think what did what did you folks think about seeing it for the first time well, I did. I don't know why, but when I saw the Cylons, I was like, "They've nicked that from Kit in Knight Rider." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the presence indicator. I well, think it's technically both known. Glenn, both Glenn A. Larson. They both Glenn A. Larson. Oh. Yeah, they were. Yeah, oh, absolutely. They did I actually nick that yeah. from Knight Rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also, there's a Cylon in the opening credits of um, the A Team as well because yeah. Dirk what? Benedict was in both. He famously recycled loads of ideas. Glenn A. Larson's, if you watch his Buck Rogers as well, the spaceships in that were actually the original prototype for the Vipers in Battlestar Galactica, which, which they ultimately didn't use. With the, so, yeah, they, they, and, they, and they make they make the same sounds, and I think even the, the joysticks sounds, yeah. in the cockpits are the same, you know, with the same buttons on them. Oh, really? So, so he yeah. definitely did recycle special effects, so that's, that's a great observation. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. They are, oh, they are Knight Rider. Wah, 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 wah. Oh, <laughs> I feel validated now. Wow. I was a huge Buck Rogers fan. I'm surprised I didn't pick up on that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's the first show in a while where I've been hooked instantly. And yeah, this is sci-fi proper, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's good stuff. And immediately like the characters and you get to learn quite a lot about the characters quite quickly, I think, too. It's quite a lot of steamy stuff in the beginning as well. I was like, oh my quite... word, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that, and that's how Cylons are very different in this. <laughs> you, you don't get that with the Cylons in the original series, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, and then and, and yeah, the look of it, the sound of it, and the battle. Oh my gosh, like it just draws you in straight away. So edge of the seat stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm very impressed. I, Absolutely. I mean, the, the... The, the battle don't they make it look really hard to be a starfighter pilot that's one thing I, I thought about it you know you, you watch a lot of things like star wars and you think oh i could fly an x-wing and then you watch battlestar galactica and you kind of go oh i'm glad i don't have to go into space though no, it's so true because you're almost like you, you can you can feel the tension when they're about to take off and, it, and that makes so much more sense right like i mean they're trying to dodge about a hundred things out there i don't know why they don't get killed more easily to be honest but um and and, and they're doing it in these antiquated um flying um sort of museum pieces really so it makes it even well, more literally scary. literally yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i loved it this was my first dive into it really but uh i think it's really timely i mean like you said it kind of it kind of came after really in the shadows of 9 11 and now 
being that we are where we are at this point, you know, in life with everything going on. I think it's just the thing that people need to be binge watching right now. I liked how it, it steered clear of like a lot of the, you know, techno jargon. And it really does, it really does dive into a lot of, um, you know, morality, really. You are mm-hmm. doing, I think so many, so many good, Supernatural does that too, but there's so many good sci-fi shows. I think when you, you focus on the humanity of it, it, it takes a different turn. So 33, the episode we're talking about is like the first episode proper. It comes after the miniseries, which is where the Cylon attack happens and, and where they actually realize they're not actually at war with the Cylons. They're just on the run. Um, and then there's a brilliant idea at the center of it that th- every 33 minutes, the Cylons find them and they have to jump away again. So they've all been awake for, what is it, five days? And you know you end, start the episode and they're all sort of hanging. There's something about that that episode which manages to be both a really thrilling science fiction action show but at the same time be a show that's basically about that that kind of old adage that the price of freedom freedom is eternal vigilance totally condensed and distilled into that thing where they they can't they literally can't sleep in order to kind of stay vigilant and that's really powerful i mean you really feel the sheer tiredness that they portray and it's it's amazing and the fact that they're all the things that they're doing moment to moment, you really feel it because you're, you're essentially living through that kind of few minutes with them. You just, Oh, I felt for them. Mm -hmm. Seriously. (laughs) They did a good job at layering things too. The way they built it up, it, it, it left you on with such a, not a a cliffhanger, but it was like, you just, you wanted more instantly. Like you had you, it is such a show that you binge. You really can't just watch. I can't imagine watching it when it was on because having (laughs) having to wait a week. (laughs) Oh gosh. It would have driven me crazy. The episode 33 is at a point where it's still kind of establishing the characters, but they sort of come fully formed. I, I, having watched it, it all in the past and being a big fan of it, in my mind, there are certain characters that I think the show comes to focus on. And particularly, for instance, President Roslin, I think, is, is, uh, is an incredible character. And she's actually really not in this very much. She's got sort of a kind of a pivotal, pivotal role. But, she, but my, my recollection of Battlestar is how important she is to the kind of direction of the fleet. And she's, they're still sort of establishing the the kind of hierarchy in this aren't they one of the things the show does really well is to make them just look like normal people you know even down to the fact that they've got earth names you know like william adama you know it's not like they've sort of come up with uh something out of star wars you know these are real people in the original series they were actually literally called apollo or boomer or whatever but they make they flip those to make them their kind of top gun call signs in this so they've got human names and and call signs which is you know, how they, they kind of settle on, on that. Um, did you kind of get a, a bit of a sense if you've, if you're kind of new to the show and you watch the miniseries and this about what the Cylons plan is, did you, cause there was a whole talk, lot and I wasn't sure actually. <laughs> <laughs> cause they talk, they talk a lot about that, you know, obviously they have, they, they, they're very destructive and then you get this sort of weird sense in, in, in the, in 33 that, um, uh, six, how, it talks about God quite a lot. And so on. did you, how did you feel yeah. about kind of what the Cylons were about? So that really confused me because for me, that was the the thing that made, made them stand out from other sort of AI forms in the sense that they obviously felt that they had a, a, a greater purpose and that they seemed to believe in God. And it was just such a, well, it sounds punny, but such an alien idea <laughs> because of the fact that you never really see that normally. And so it did have me sort of guessing at what, 
so whether they they thought that they were created by a god or whatever and then you've actually got the scientists so baltar saying well no don't believe in god and you know we are we have created these things and essentially and he's the one feeling really responsible for everything so yeah it was that was like a real sort of um that was like a head turn twice really for me and um i yeah i mean having only watched the first few episodes i'm really curious to see if there is a purpose and what they're doing because at the same time they believe in god but they're very happy to commit mass genocide so who knows (laughs) actually you mentioned boltar there i find he's obviously this horribly flawed character and he's a was also the traitor in the um, original series where he's much more of this kind of pantomime traitor. Whereas this, I sort of feel sorry for him. He's obviously so guilty and kind of, you know, messed up by that, by what he's doing, but kind of unable at that point, he's sort of committed to being a traitor. I don't know. What did you make of it? Mm -hmm. Very broken. He's beautifully broken. I thought they did did that character very well. Cause you did, you know, you know that what he's, what he's doing is not right. You know that he's got secrets that he's keeping, but you, you're drawn to him. You want him to win somehow, you know, you want him to come out on top or do the right thing. And, you know, for, for those of us just getting started into it, you don't really know what that is yet. And also you've got number six as that kind of Machiavellian Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. So you can actually get the sort of the torture in his brain and you're never quite sure whether she's there or, or if she's yeah. in his mind, if she's imaginary or, you know, did the Cylons implant her there. It's really brilliant narrative device. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And just putting her in a red dress, just, it's just like a brilliant piece of um, of design really like it's it just makes her stand out so much against the grays and the browns of the rest of the crew and the spaceship so it really it implants again the idea that she's not really there she's almost ethereal and occasionally you get those comedy moments where you kind of look across at him and he's kind of you know in mid kiss or something and yeah. <laughs> he doesn't realize what he's doing yeah i think there's that moment where she goes you're really good at multitasking he's like yep yeah i am <laughs> Well, yeah, he really is. <laughs> <laughs> One of the the sort of, I, I call him a recreator on this, because obviously it was Glenn A. Larson originally, but Ronald D. Moore was one of the main players in getting this made. He was a really important writer on Star Trek, The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. And I think he got quite frustrated with the restrictions of Star Trek. You know, everyone on, on the crew had to be nice to each other and, and there wasn't the conflict. Now, there's a lot of conflict in Battlestar Galactica. Do you, do you think this is him really just making the the sci-fi show he wanted to almost the anti-star trek i'm sure i read somewhere that he actually deliberately made colonel ty into the anti-riker so whatever it was that um that will riker would do on um, next generation he made a character that would be the opposite he's he's someone that the, the the commander can't quite rely on he's not quite ready for command he's a drunk he's uh you know he's angry he's you know he 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 doubts the uh the, the mission and uh, and I'm sure I, I read an interview with him somewhere where he said that was that was deliberate that that he thought that that after making making the next generation and having uh, Will Riker being such a, an obvious number one for Picard and having that dynamic he'd, he'd make a team that was they were obviously friends but they the, the, the second in command wasn't an obvious you know a, an obvious do gooder. And then Michael Hogan, who played um, Colonel Ty, who's, who's absolutely brilliant. He had an accident at Battlestar Galactica convention in Vancouver a few months ago, hit his head, and is, is very poorly now. And, and there is actually a, a collection going on um, 
to, to raise money for his treatment. Um, there is a so GoFundMe we'll collection, isn't it, for his treatment? Yeah. So, so we'll put a link on on the episode for that. I've just realised actually that's when I last saw him. So I was at that convention. Really? Yeah, and I was supposed wow, to interview. no way. I was supposed to interview him on that Sunday, and he didn't turn up, and nobody knew what had happened initially. And then they said, "Oh, he's sick," and I've just suddenly made that link that that's why. Well, yeah, that's that's yeah. a real shame. Yeah, he uh, he he hit his head, didn't he, and uh, went to bed not realizing he was unwell, and and woke up with some, uh, you know, a, a, a bleed, which is um, left him with some um, uh, some paralysis and so on. So yeah, um, obviously we wish him well. I mean, I think as a cast that they they all they were always amazing um, ambassadors for the show. I mean, you always got the sense that they loved it as much as any of the fans. Yeah. It, it almost felt like um, this was the important show they were making in their careers. Mm. I mean, it seems like it. And even now when they talk about it, they're so joyful about it. And um, and they it, it feels like they miss it in a way. Although when they talk about, you know, what they had to do for filming and it wasn't an easy shoot, it sounds like one of those harder shoots really. Um, they all sound like they really still enjoy talking about it all these years later. And they And I think they like, they are sort of, they are comrades really because they're always together and they it's not like you know sometimes you see people who get together for a cast and then they kind of do whatever but they really do hang out and enjoy being together which is really nice sorry you interviewed or met uh edward james almost recently didn't you Was, was it to do with battlestar it wasn't actually it was completely unrelated to battlestar but i i was um obviously have always known him from this, even though I hadn't uh, gotten into the show until recently. And he was such a delight. I mean, I, I would have loved to have talked to him specifically about this had that been the right opportunity for it. <laughs> so we were geared towards more political uh, conversation. Uh, it was at a, another premiere, a diary of a future president. But yeah, I mean, he was just the sweetest, nicest guy. He's just, yeah, it's, it's hard not, you know, when you meet him, it's, it's hard not to see him in this role. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like immediately the the character that you just equate him to. Well, yeah. it's funny because when I met him, he was dressed just like a cowboy. And <laughs> <laughs> he had this huge hat on and everything, this big scarf. And I obviously had only seen the pictures at that point in as BSG. And then when I saw him as a dumb, I'm like, oh, my God, he's not a cowboy. He <laughs> actually is a proper commander. So, <laughs> Are you likely to watch more Battlestar Galactica now, having seen the miniseries and 33, do you think? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I basically ended up that day, I watched, what, like five and a half hours of BSG, and I wouldn't have stopped if I didn't have to go out. And um, so, yeah, I can tell that that's, like, it's it's so easily bingeable, isn't it? Oh yeah, I actually fell asleep with it on the first. I mean, I watched as many, <laughs> as many episodes as I possibly could right. until I literally couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. So yeah, I'm definitely going to dive back into that. It's funny as well. Because, yeah, I, I love um, it as a, as a show. I, I got a, a lot of fun feeling for it, and I think it. it, it um, in my head, I, I I was trying to sum it up online before when um, just uh, when it became when it came to iPlayer, I was talking about it on social media, and I was kind of going, it's like. Uh, West Wing meets The Expanse. No, wait, it's like uh, <laughs> Borgen uh, meets uh, Babylon Five. Oh no, no, it's it's kind of got this sort of political edge to it as well. That you know, there's there's so much going on in in a, in, a, in a series. You can watch it for the rocket ships and robots, or you can watch it for the people and the politics. And in fact, the fact that it's both, I think, is what makes it so so good. 
Yeah. I think there was a famous quote in Time, I think it was, where they were doing their top 10 shows. I think it must have been about 2005. And they just put this line, some of you have probably surprised that Battlestar Galactica is in this list. The rest of you have seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I I think there was this kind of idea that, oh, you know, this is uh, a space show. It's going to be Star Wars. Like, the Mm. you know, the original Battlestar Galactica was famously, you know, universal trying to make a TV show that would cash in on the, the love of Star Wars. And, and they'd made this show that wasn't that, that, that was as much about, you know, contemporary Earth as it was about outer space. And, you know, it was a human drama, but also did the space stuff really well. I mean, as someone who's seen the whole thing, Dave, is it worth making it all the way through the four seasons? Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's great. It, it certainly peaks. There's some fantastic kind of set piece moments. I think there's... Um, Oh, without without spoiling, um, there are there are some kind of um, moments of, uh, of of kind of landfall and then escape, which are which are worth it. There are some great new characters get introduced and and, and then leave. A lot of fans think that its its premise wasn't really delivered on with the finale, with the final season. Um, uh, doesn't doesn't quite deliver on what you're expecting and again i don't want to give any spoilers but you know you have to watch it all the way through i found that it was sort of emotionally dare i say spiritually satisfying without necessarily being the logical direction i thought it was going in so if you're kind of all right with that sort of ambiguity then i think maybe the final season is is you know is it, fine but um but yeah certainly along the way there are some high you know some some fantastic tv highs so definitely worth watching I think there are definitely parallels with the end of Quantum Leap, you know, in, in the way that it wraps up. You know, it doesn't wrap everything up in a nice bow and it, it does have philosophical implications. I can see why a lot of people didn't like it, but I really did. Should it be rebooted or get an extension in some way? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, how do you improve on it? I mean, it's so good and, you know, you'd have to do something completely different to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And I, I just can't see the point because I don't think it's going to date massively. You know, everything in it is still relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you had to choose between Jean-Luc Picard or Commander Adama, who would you choose? Oh, that's really hard. Um, Picard in peacetime, Adama in wartime. Oh, Ooh. good answer. I like that. Good fence sitting, Dave. <laughs> no, I'm just both. Uh, why not both? That's both. Can we? Why yeah. Not? Can they share time? Can we? <laughs> can we make that show? Yeah, that would be a great show. Gosh, yeah. Netflix, please, Netflix. <laughs> My favourite Battlestar Galactica fact, though, is that the shaving mirror in Adama's quarters is an IKEA product called Frack. What? Amazing! Wait, that's incredible. How did you figure that out? I, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the IKEA catalog. I mean, I, I, <laughs> if you look it up on IKEA, it, it is a uh, it is a shaving oh mirror. My God. Oh my that's God. Amazing hidden facts you never knew. Absolutely. I wonder how long it took the prop people to put that together. <laughs> How many screws they had left over at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Now I'm going to have to rewatch that just, just for that. All I knew really about Battlestar before I started watching it was just how much of an epic show, um, a cult show, um, a sort of prestigious show it, it was. And 
how it was credited, like you said before, as being one of the best TV shows of all time. And and essentially, does it live up to all the hype? You're right. There definitely is. So it won uh, numerous awards. I think that episode that we watched, 33, just there for this episode of the podcast, won the 2005 Hugo Award, I think, for Best Dramatic Presentation. I'm not quite sure which order the year's going. But um, that it, it, so it was off to a flying start. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it totally uh, deserves its, its place on the pedestal. Even with its, with all of its seasons after the, its, its early award-winning run, and, and it, you know, maybe ending on a little bit of a low for some people, I, I still think it, it deserves a, uh, you know, its 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 uh, credibility and, and is worth a rewatch. I think certainly its first two and a bit seasons are as good as TV sci-fi has ever been, and I would say it's the best TV space opera ever. I, and I say that as someone who loves Star Trek, but this took it to another level. And just rewatching it now, it's like no it's not lost any of it you know, mm. it's still powerful characters are still great still like watching the spaceships but that's just me you know it, it's just a really really good show and you know i remember how captivated i was when i watched it yeah i i have to agree i mean as someone who is just getting into it i and knowing about it before i even saw the miniseries or saw the first few episodes um it really lived up to the hype i mean it really it holds up today. I think it's timely. I think it's something that, you know, whether or not you're, you're even a a fan of sci-fi, it's something that everybody should see just because it, it really is that phenomenal of a show. It It was that well done. That just about wraps us up on Battlestar Galactica. We'll be back in a sec where we'll be talking about the news. Welcome to part three, our news roundup. Our next podcast will be out around Wednesday, the 7th of October, when we'll be shining a bat signal into the sky to look back at Tim Burton's original 1989 Batman, the film that spawned the franchise that would one day lead to Batman and Robin. Don't forget you can listen to previous episodes, including a special spoiler-packed episode devoted to Christopher Nolan's Tenet on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also get in touch with Robbie. If you want to talk to us about anything sci-fi or fantasy-related, or Batman, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Robbie Sci-Fi. And while you're at it, why not subscribe with your podcast provider? All right, news roundup. First story, I think, uh, is a story that I'd never actually thought I'd be talking about. The Walking Dead is coming to an end. Um, the 11th season will be the last. It will have 24 episodes in it, and it will finish in 2022. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel like it's been a long time coming. I feel like people have kind of been expecting it for a little while. Um, but I think because they're giving us the spinoff, it's, um, and we, there's that, that is holding fans, um, hopes <laughs> higher right now. Oh, you're talking about the Carol and Daryl spinoff. Yes. Yeah. yeah which is due in 2023. I reckon yeah. they should call it Carol and Daryl in peril. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. There's also another spinoff though, isn't there as well? There's the world beyond. Yeah. So yeah, there's World Beyond, which starts at the start of October, and it's about some kids who don't really know anything different. The trailer for that looked pretty good, I thought. The characters and the kids actually were surprisingly engaging, so it's not much to make a judgment on, but what, mm. two and a half minutes off. But yeah. yeah but it did feel I'm kind like, of quite optimistic, didn't it? And kind of quite yeah. exciting and kind of yeah. quite the world the world was slightly more of a playground than a than a wasteland, you know. Yeah. There's also um, Fear the Walking Dead, which is ongoing. And um, there's also an anthology in development, Tales of the Walking Dead. And there's also a sitcom. What? 
Sitcom. Now I made that last one up. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Might as well. I mean, the fans <laughs> are watching it. Right? <laughs> and yeah. the Rick Grimes movies as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, do you think this is a show that lost its way? Certainly in the early days, and it got big after, very big in two or three seasons, and it was one of the, the shows that people were talking about. You know, it was up there and almost Game of Thrones level. Mm-hmm. But it, it really feels like it's fallen out of the conversation a little bit over the last couple of years. It definitely feel like, feels like um, season seven to eight is where things change. I think especially after Glenn died. And then I think eight is the one that people complain about the most. So it it definitely feel, felt like from the fandom, like when I was at conventions like Walker Stockcon and places like that, it definitely felt like that seemed to be the vibe coming out of the fandom. However, it wasn't enough that they would leave the show necessarily and the fan base still seemed to be there. Um, and the numbers, the ratings have obviously dropped as well, which seems to um, sort of coincide with what the, or correlate with what the fans are saying. So I think there's definitely still a big fan base for it, but I do feel like it's dwindling. And hence, I suspect that's why they made that decision that now is the time to, to end the main series. I, uh, I have to confess I bailed in it after season four, I think, maybe five, maybe doing seven, but certainly round about then. So halfway through, I I, I, um, I lost a bit of faith and, and stopped watching. Um, it just it just felt like like a show that had a fantastic opening premise and, and for a few seasons we'd watched it, and, and but it, it felt like it was really slow. And, 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 I, and I know that that's part of its charm. It was kind of atmospheric, but I mm. it just felt very dour and, and kind of the pace just wasn't what, what I needed. Although I did, uh, on a trip to... Um, uh, San Diego Comic-Con um, around about season four, I realized that I needed to watch the season in order to be prepared for the interviews that I was going to be doing out there. So I had them all downloaded onto my laptop. And on the flight over from the UK, which to uh, Los Angeles, which is about 11 hours, <laughs> I, I watched them all. Now, that, that actually, that flight wasn't quite long enough to watch them all if I watched them at normal speed. So I actually used the player on my laptop to watch them at, <laughs> to watch them at 1.3 speed. So uh, so it, it speeded up a little bit, which which I think improves it, but also gave me gave me quite a headache, which is what all I'd done is just watched, uh, watched The Walking Dead at, at slightly Was that The faster. Jogging Dead? Oh it was God. The Jogging Dead. Watching The Jogging Dead for 11 hours. Uh, I don't recommend it. And maybe, maybe oh in fairness to the show, maybe that's why I bailed. I don't know. So I have a hard time with zombies. That was always my, I was just, this is a show I would watch with my eyes closed. Um, but I also, I, I really gave it a good go at the beginning. Um, I interviewed the cast at Paley Fest. Um, God, was it last year or the year before? And I kind of, I kind of got the vibe then that everybody was waiting for it to end. You know, there was kind of like, they, I think they would have kept going um, mm-hmm. as long as the fans wanted it, as long as the you know, there was an, a need for it or want for it, uh, which is why I think, you know, kind of the letter going out and, and announcing the ending, but then also simultaneously announcing the spinoff with, you know, the characters that people really want to see. I think that's, that's, mm. you know, yeah, you're sad to see it go, but you can't wait to see what comes next. I mean, I've always find it a, an odd show to watch because it's never something I've particularly enjoyed. You know, you'd have these really intense episodes where, you know, people were getting eaten and it was almost unbearable to watch. And then you'd have three or four episodes where nothing happened. Yeah. And it was mostly just Rick saying, yeah, I'm in charge now. And I, I don't really like you anymore, Rick. Uh, I preferred you when you were in <laughs> teachers in this life. Um, <laughs> yeah. at- when he was egg. 
was it season two where it just was so slow for ages and then and then suddenly explosively everyone comes out of the barn and there's a, you know and it, it's such a powerful I, moment and it was like um, telling a joke you know this really long joke then this whole season was building up to a punchline with a barn yeah right yeah. you know and actually it was a really good reveal but it was my god it was a long time getting it made there. you work for it yeah absolutely absolutely I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, therefore, watching it in 1.3 speed makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> I love the jogging dead. I think that's I amazing. 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 Brilliant. That's the sequel they should do. I recorded for Fox between seasons one and two a small talking head to camera about the the show and the 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 kind of cultural impact of the show. Oh, and really? it was in a ho- it was in a hotel, and they had like a kind of a, a waiting room, and then had a room where they were doing the filming across the suite. And I was told that um, right in there, right now, Norman Reedus was doing his to camera piece. Um, the character, the actor who plays Daryl, and, and so I was waiting my turn, and then so he, um, so I was going to go in after him. And I went across the hall to do the thing. And just as he came out and he came out and went, oh, hey, man, it's, it's your turn. And he was stripped to the waist. He was doing it kind of half naked. And I thought, <laughs> I might, do, I, do I have to take my clothes off to do this? What's the, what's the routine here? What, 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 what have I got myself into? What, what am I supposed to be recording? <laughs> Reader, I kept my clothes on. Onto a very different type of comic book adaptation now, the Marvel Universe. Uh, Tatiana Maslany has been cast as She-Hulk. Uh, that's awesome news, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She's the stars yeah. of Orphan Black. Yes, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so true. Yes. That's very true. Yes, I was very excited about this announcement. I thought that was brilliant casting. I'm so happy to see her back in action. <laughs> and I, I cannot wait to see her tackle this role. But do you, how do you think they're going to do it? Is she going to be entirely CG, do you think? I, it's, it's impossible I, to know, isn't it? I guess yeah, maybe so. I, mean, I think they will do a good part of it. You know, I, I do like the idea there's like a tiny but mighty thing there which i can get behind because i'm like four foot eleven so i'm (laughs) I'm all for that um but yeah i do i do see i do see cgi going into this definitely they managed with the hulk in the movies they managed to make mark ruffalo big and green and it's obviously cg but they keep a sense of him don't they in the character so i might they can maybe do the same i'd I'd love to see she hulk become onto the big screen and become one part of the avengers or something you know she's a great character and i I love i love the she hulk comics you know i think she's she's fantastic and and, you know of course in that she gets a blood transfusion from her cousin bruce banner which gives her the powers but also she retains control of her kind of human personality and she you know she she's a a lawyer who spends a lot of her time defending uh the actions of of superheroes and it's had a whole different kind of spin on it i mean definitely you can imagine that whole kind of legal side of things will work well on tv and 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 uh tatiana's great from from all from black you know you can't say enough about what a fantastic show that is and, and how well she performs in that but yeah add, add she helped to the roster of the uh, of the big screen heroes as well i say and staying in the marvel universe how cool does the wandavision trailer look <laughs> i'm so excited for that oh so good i mean this really does look like a departure doesn't it you know mm-hmm. this sort of almost i love lucy 50s set sitcom idea but it's kind of morphing around and, and you you've got the vision and scarlet witch sort of living in sort of 50s suburbia really odd but i have no idea how it fits in with the rest of canon but it looks amazing yeah. mm-hmm. it looks pretty trippy to me mm-hmm. they're such powerful characters that it must be difficult to think what to do with them other than do something trippy mm-hmm. uh, and also vision's kind of dead 
Right. Oh, yeah. What? I forgot about that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Infinity War. And, and it's referenced in the trailer as well, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you definitely, I mean, you're, you're going to get your share of spoilers with this. That's for sure. <laughs> you need to make sure you're, you're caught up on all of your MCU before you get into this. I think as the MCU starts getting more and more into TV, you know, with the Disney Plus shows, you know, mm-hmm. you're just going to, you know, you're not going to be able to watch a movie unless you're up to date on all the Disney mm-hmm. Plus stuff. I mean, what a genius move from Disney, really. Right, yeah. You know, to get people to subscribe to their TV yeah. streaming service. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're doing quite well right now. Well, that oh was yeah, what well, with the Mulan as well, and then of course uh-huh. Mandalorian coming up. I think Disney Plus yeah. is going to be my next um, my next purchase. Yeah, I mean, well, that was interesting today, like this week, isn't it? To see the numbers of households. What was it like? One in three households have Disney Plus in the US or something crazy? Something like that. Yeah, I was just reading um, it. Yeah, I mean, wow. that's huge. And then on top of that, that's way above what they expected. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that's happened, really. And I was one of those people going, "Oh, no one's gonna, no one's gonna watch from Milan for thirty dollars." I was wrong. Yeah. So it's been real success, <laughs> they hasn't it? They were too. They were not expecting that. They they said they were. That was a big surprise to them. So. You see, people yeah. are bored, surely. But I mean, <laughs> they want content. They really absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, gosh, that's really. And yeah, you know, Disney kind of. Well, they own Pixar, they own Star Wars, and they own Marvel, and they're always near the top of the box office. They're they're always going to be able to put content out that people want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Disney owns the world, you guys. God. Yeah. <laughs> Including, as Dave said, the Mandalorian, and <laughs> that trailer got me properly excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, I love it. I've watched it like a thousand times. I'm so okay. excited by that. that yeah. That one, yeah, that one trailer, I think, oh, that, I think that trailer has better Star Wars in it than the last three movies. Oh. I apologize for saying that. Oh, um, I think The Mandalorian is the best Star Wars Disney have done. Yes. Mm. So I, I would be with yeah. you on that. Although I had a, an interesting comment from a friend yesterday who watched The Mandalorian and bearing in mind, he's not really, it's not really his genre. Like he's not generally sort of into sci-fi and things, but he, he watched it. Don't know why. And he said the whole time it reminded him of being in a video game where each episode was the whole point was you have to complete a mission and then get a payoff. And that's what he said it felt like every time he was watching an episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he goes, once that, once that occurred to him, he couldn't watch it in the same way again. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to you, Dave. Yeah, a little bit. Well, we spoke before about how the... Um the locations are actually all built in a video game engine. I don't think that, I don't think, I think they're, they're so realistic that that doesn't factor into it, but yeah, the, the, it is a little bit of an ongoing escort quest, isn't it? Take, take this person <laughs> from this location to that location. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, but I think though that, um, that the Mandalorian does a great job, um, in actually what are quite short episodes of telling quite an interesting story about what's happened to the, the empire after, the, the the fall of the, the second Death Star and after the Return of the Jedi, actually there's just little hints throughout it of what's going on in that universe. So it's quite good at world building, I think. You know, in that first mm-hmm. um season you see like the stormtrooper helmets on spikes and you get a bit of a sense that the kind of empire is kind of falling apart. And then in this trailer you see X Wings back again and you know you get a little you see a few other little things. You see the kind of uh in that kind of wrestling ring they go to uh, sparring ring of sorts you know they've got the kind of gamorians fighting there there's sort of little hints of the universe kind of going on in the background around it which i which i think is you know is lovely do you know the most amazing thing dave mm-hmm. you've got this far without mentioning baby yoda <laughs> <laughs> the child oh, oh how amazing oh. yeah i love that moment though that we see in when he basically sort of goes 
I don't like this. I'm out and closes his own crib. That is a pretty genius. Oh my God. And I know that I've replayed that about a dozen times. I don't know what it is about that kid, honestly. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get plenty more of it as well, I think, because they've already started work on season three. And uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who plays Moff Gideon, um, he's actually said we're probably going to start finding out the real sort of information from this show in season four. So they're obviously playing the long game. Yeah. I mean, that that makes me happy and sad at the same time because I don't want to have to wait. Like, I wish <laughs> they just make more. I truly was gutted when I got to the last episode going seriously. There's only there's not enough of yeah. this. And I think a lot of people felt like that because we're used to being given, you know, at least 13 episodes or, or hour-long episodes of things. Right. And then you get these short A episodes, you're like, oh, I really need more. I don't have to wait a year and a half <laughs> so, or whatever it is. It's also nice to have Star Wars being planned because I thought it was quite funny, this story coming out the other day where Daisy Ridley's been interviewed and she said, well, at one point I was going to be Ray Kenobi and then yeah. I was a Palpatine and then they were changing their minds while it was shooting. And, and I, there's a flaw with the, the Star Wars sequel movies. It's yeah. that there didn't seem to be a grand plan. I've sad to see that the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance won't be getting another season. Um, Cancelled after one by uh, Netflix. That's that's yeah. not good, is it? Yeah. Well, what was the idea that it was just too expensive to keep going? Was that the underlying? I mean, I'm not sure it? because when they promoted it um, at San Diego, it very much sounded like um, they really wanted to make it sort of a legacy thing, and I I think that the startup cost would have been much higher because obviously now they've got a lot of the characters and they've figured out the puppetry and all that kind of thing so making a second season i think would have been cheaper probably significantly Uh, cheaper um so i don't know what the reason is behind it well i I was i went on set for it and it was amazing you know that they they've actually they bought a building in in north london um they basically taken over an old industrial building so it was their space and Mm -hmm. they had all the puppets built and and they could do what they like, really. And, you know, the sets were beautiful and uh, the puppets were amazing. And I got to have a go on a... Did sort you? Of, it's like a, a kind of weird lizardy creature and, and it's just with this remote control. And I had no idea what I was doing, obviously, but, you know, you just move it slightly and it suddenly comes to life and you just imagine what it's like with a proper pu- puppeteer. I w- I'm not a massive fan of the Dark Crystal movie, but I think it's quite an interesting mythology. And I think the TV show really got into that and they were really clearly setting things up. And, and I know that they had this huge arc planned. So yeah. it just feels like, oh, because I think we've got quite used to big shows not being cancelled after one yeah, season, you know, yeah. which used to happen all the time, but not doesn't yeah. happen so much now. Well, especially Netflix, you know, they tend to have this reputation that they never generally cancel anything after one season. And this was something that they touted as a as a big epic series. And especially it was it was quite a landmark because there was nothing on TV like it. We're using puppetry to that level of sophistication. So I don't know why they why they made that decision. I'd be curious to see if they explain that at some point, mm-hmm. but it's sad. I wonder if it's one of those things, you know, like the, the fans will have a chance to bring it back if there's such a demand for it, because people seem really upset about this. I mean, this has caught a lot of people off guard. Mm. So I'm, I'm wondering if a Kickstarter will, will or maybe it'll turn end. out that uh, old Jeff Bezos is a massive fan or something and he'll buy it for Amazon <laughs> yeah. Prime. Right? Yeah, that's true. Netflix. Absolutely. <laughs> Net, come on, Netflix. Are you, you going to get commission? <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Maybe. 
mate oh my god if they if netflix wanted me to work for them i'd be there happily lots of good ideas for them you guys (laughs) (laughs) quantum leap the quantum leap reboot that's what we're getting we're getting together on one page about that 100 percent. i guarantee people would get behind that (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yep i think it's the right time for that And the Radio Times has conducted one of the more important polls for our time, uh, finding out who the public's favourite doctor is. The results are, I will say, controversial. David Tennant at number one, that's fair enough, but followed by Jodie Whittaker, Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith and uh, Tom Baker. Now, Tom Baker normally comes pretty high on this, but this list seems to suggest that Doctor Who started in 2005. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it certainly does, i think probably the to. constituency was the younger viewers i would i would think i don't think a lot of people would say that david Tennant was bad so number one is great and i probably think he's probably yeah. my, my favorite from the, the new doctors i think where the the weirdness comes in is with some of the uh older doctors which sort of makes me think that maybe yeah it was the kind of younger constituency voting for this because I think we're looking at, you know, I think it's weird that Christopher Eccleston is so far down, for instance. Mm-hmm. I think that's unusual. And I think it's weird that Peter Davison has come at the bottom, which usually is a slot reserved for Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy during those wilderness years. And, I, you know, so I, that's that surprised me. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm not surprised David Tennant is because is at the top. I think there's probably definitely some uh confirmation like questionnaire bias in there mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> people <laughs> like, are like colin baker are not probably the type of people who are going to vote on online polls um but but i, I mean i was surprised that jd whitaker was so high i so think given that she's quite new for instance it's, it's, it's interesting whereas given she's had a couple of decades new. for some of the others mm-hmm. absolutely i think that mainly and also the fact that her episodes overall weren't as loved potentially you know by the viewers as uh say david tennant i thought it was bizarre that paul mcgann was at number seven seeing as he's only played the doctor (laughs) in one full episode and uh anyone short ahead of the 50th anniversary episode i mean i know he's done a lot of audio dramas but he's he's not been there and where's john hurt right the war doctor he's not allowed apparently he didn't qualify right that was the reason that he wasn't in it. Same with, um, I think, David Bradley and a couple of others. So oh, yeah, they weren't eligible the... for it. Yeah. Do, do you think all the people who voted William Hartnell up to six thought that they were voting for David Bradley? From... <laughs> yeah. Right, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. From, from the, uh, the first doctor. Possibly. Maybe that's right. Actually, what I have to say, but given that my name is also David Bradley, that I've, yeah. uh, I've screen capped the, uh, the, uh, the episode where it says starring David Bradley as the doctor, and I'm just going to hang on to that. That will come in very useful <laughs> online at some point. One day that may come true, Dave. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, well. Never know. Netflix. That wraps things up for this week's instalment of Robbie the Robot's Waiting in association with Netflix. Uh, thank you very much, Sari. <laughs> thank you so much Thanks, for having Sari. me. It's such thank a pleasure. You, thank Brilliant. You. Bye. We'll be back around Wednesday, the 7th of October, talking Batman, the original one, not the Nolan ones, not Batman v Superman. And thank you for tuning in. So say we all. So say, so we, say all. we all. So say we all.